episode, I'm talking entrepreneurship with my with my old friend Jason Cleveland. And uh, it was about a month or two ago I had saw on Facebook that he was part of of a project, a video with John Legend and his foundation for the work that uh, Jason was doing with formerly incarcerated people. Now, I, I knew, you know, a few years ago that Jason was working on his MBA and uh, I knew he was he was working on some programs and putting his own business together to help out people that were formerly incarcerated to give them the skills that they need to restart their lives to run businesses, to have those kind of opportunities. So, you know, really cool. Had followed, you know, followed Jason, shot, shot him notes over, you know, different times, just telling me how proud of him I was and just wanting to know more about it. So we caught up, you know, he's a busy guy and, you know, I'm pretty busy as well. So at, uh, at one point we caught up and I was having a phone call and I was just chatting with him, wanting to get a better idea and telling him I wanted to chat with him on the podcast. And uh, ask a little bit more about the uh, John Legend project, and he was talking about it was um, it was a forum with uh, people that were formerly incarcerated who are now running businesses. And I thought his invitation was because he was helping people out. And at that point, he had told me that yeah, in fact, you know, around the time I had first met him years ago, uh, before that, he himself was uh, incarcerated for uh, DUI. And it's just something I didn't know and something that I guess if we find out about before we get to know the person, it's a situation where, of course, we're judging a book by its cover or something along those lines. I forget how that quote goes, but uh, one of those situations where, yeah, maybe I wouldn't have been friends with him or I would have uh, been a little judgmental had I found out that he was, uh, you know, he was somebody that served time. And it was in the county county jail that he had served time. And, um, you know, just looking back, you know, I mean, Jason was a guy that I had always known as being one of the most reliable, enthusiastic, hardworking people. And I, I hired him um, on many occasions when I was working for uh, a production company as the operations manager. So, you know, I had I would have thought nothing about this. And it was just one thing I wouldn't say it caught me off guard or by surprise, but it was just something that I had no knowledge of. So it was just kind of, okay, interesting. Um, and, and with recording the podcast, it was just something I found like, okay, this will be an interesting story and let's hear how, uh, you know, he's taken that experience and how he's putting it into play. So it's just really interesting conversation. I'm really proud of the work that he's doing. And I have links to the uh, video with John Legend and, and the panel that he was on. Uh, just amazing things that these people are doing and just how they are, giving back to society and how they are kind of balancing things out. So uh, giving people that who had never had opportunities or didn't have good role models in their neighborhood, you know, didn't have the doctors in their neighborhoods who were going to work every day. And, and so they just really did not, you know, they didn't know about these kind of things. It's really amazing. So Jason and I talk about that. You'll get a little more in that vein. And it's a tough subject. It's a tough subject because we look at things in this country and it's like, okay, that person did this. So they're forever stamped with, with having whatever it is. And there's different occasions and it's it's a hard subject to, to get into and sometimes it's difficult to talk about. And one of the things that Jason had stated in this interview, which I thought was amazing, was, yeah, let's have coffee. Let's sit down. I'll chat. And you, you know, listen to what you have to say about it. 
and so he can have a better understanding and then hopefully the other people have a better understanding as well so this is one of the things i like to do in the podcast i don't always have the answers never claim to but uh, it's good to have the conversations. And I want to thank uh, all the support, all the people that support Conversations with Calcutta and help me put this out. I want to thank the Holman family, Christy and Tom Holman. They've been very supportive uh, through the run of this show. I want to thank Dr. Mark Holland. Dr. Mark Holland has been there from the beginning and just very supportive and uh, just a very enthusiastic guy and you know, I, th- I think he and Jason would get along well and uh, just have that similar positive attitude and d- similar um, similar vibe and just to both want to help their community. Um, Dr. Mark Holland has an office in St. Charles as well as uh, three or four other locations throughout the St. Louis region. Wildwood, downtown, North County, and I think I might be forgetting one. Need to uh, need to take better notes. But uh, since this podcast is warts and all, there's one for you. But you know, check out his website. I'll have the links on the show description. You can find out more about Dr. Mark Holland and his colleagues at First Capital Chiropractic and the other locations. Steve Saint Cyr. Steve Saint Cyr runs Songbird Cafe. Songbird, you'll just listen to amazing music. Singer-songwriters in the round. Steve holds that typically at the Focal Point in Maplewood, Missouri. And you can find uh, some of his shows and find clips online. I think he's going to start putting some of those out on YouTube. You can uh, click the link for that, Songbird Cafe STL. I'll have that there. Much easier to click the link in the show description than to remember it. And also want to thank my friend Hobo Kane a.k.a. Javier Mendoza. Once again, just another great song. I think the vibe of it kind of fits what we're talking about. It's, uh, yeah, just gets good music, gets you going, and uh, you can just feel a lot of energy from his song. So check him out at hobocane.com. If you ever had the, the opportunity, check him out live. Go to Spotify, go to iTunes, leave leave comments. If you like a song, leave a comment, leave a rating. It goes a long, long way in this digital age, those are the things that matter. It's no more. Uh, it's not the world of radio where they have those kind of charts. It's uh, it's more listener based. And Javier would appreciate any uh, help that you can give him. Of course, if you enjoy the songs, and I don't see why you would not, because it's just really mindful, soulful music that I've loved for many years. And he just he just never ceases to amaze me. Just when I think he's done it all, he puts out something that I just it just touches my soul. It's just incredible. Speaking of, um, if you if you give ratings, if you enjoy this show, give some ratings. You know, happy to have comments, happy to talk about the subject, and uh, you know, do that whole social media thing. You can find me at kencalcaterra.com. Find me on Twitter at kencalcaterra, Instagram kencalcaterra. Very fortunate to be able to uh, get my name on these different uh, different applications. So not the real Ken Calcaterra. At Ken Calcaterra is, in fact, the real Ken Calcaterra. So, yeah, that's my shameless plug there. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Jason and it, it really gets you thinking. I, I enjoyed having the conversation. And here it is. Conversations with Calcaterra featuring Jason Cleveland. So this episode is a reunion of sorts, and Jason, it is so good to see you, my friend. It's yeah. been, uh, we've talked on the phone a couple times, but uh, 
yeah, it's 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 been a while since we've really really connected, and it's uh just great to see you sitting here and on the microphone. <laughs> uh, what's uh what's going on these days, buddy? Yeah, man. No, it's great to great to reconnect with you too. I think uh, I think we've 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 known each other what, probably close to fifteen years now, right? Yeah, it was. Uh, we really connected on the uh, MS-150. I don't remember what year, yeah. but it was, uh, you know, that rainy day, and oh we're gosh. just trudging along, and it's, uh, for those of you who haven't <laughs> ridden bicycles and long distances in the rain, as you're riding and in that water or mud, it comes off your back tire and splashes up, so you generally have like a stripe across your back. So that was kind of typically, a, typically a, a mud colored stripe. Um, yeah, it was uh, quite an adventure, man. And the, the rain, man, it was like, like little needles, man, just constantly. It was, it was, uh, it was both exhilarating and, and brutal at the same time. If yeah, I remember. And then that is one of those bonding moments. You know, you, you have people that are in wartime situations or doing something that is that physical exertion, you're uh, going to, you know, fighting against weather, uh, you know, just uh, embracing. Well, not embracing, but uh, uh, well, I, I guess we embraced at some point the elements. But, uh, you know, we're just the challenge of the elements and dealing with that. And then uh, at that point, I wasn't that strong of a bike rider. And I believe we were both on mountain bikes, <laughs> yeah. which, you know, riding 75 uh, mile ride on yeah. a mountain bike. <laughs> and fortunately that year, I was smart enough to get like somewhat slick tires, but they were, yeah, they're still tires. two inch. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had the same situation. I had two inch slick tires. I mean, it's, it's, it's not geared for that type of, uh, that type of, uh, environment. And, uh, but man, I, I'll tell you what, it was exhilarating. And I, I don't know that embrace is the right word, but I think sort of just became one with the elements, you know, it's kind yeah. of like, it's kind of like I just sort of uh, submit to the, hey, this is where we're at. This is what's going on. I'm in the middle of rural Missouri, somewhere outside of Fulton. And yeah. uh, this is just where I'm at. And this is what I'm doing. Well, uh, I guess I use the word embrace because the previous year, the first year I had done that. And the yeah. most I had ever ridden, I borrowed a friend's mountain bike no slicks and i think every other word out of my mouth was the f word and yeah. i just i just hated it yeah. and my friend scott betts we were riding together and we was just, it was miserable and i thought <laughs> i'm leaving or i was saying on the ride that like, i am never i'm never, never going to do, do this. this again f this blah 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 yeah. and then as i'm driving away I was like oh wow this is okay you know that was an adventure let me try yes. it again and the year we rode it was this that camaraderie yeah. and just going through that, facing that challenge and being a lot stronger from that prior year's experience. Yeah. It was something special. And I think at that point it was like, okay, this bike riding thing is something for me. Yeah. And then I just built up and, and became a lot stronger and then uh, yeah. finally grabbed a road bike. And it seemed like <laughs> after riding that mountain bike, I was a lot faster. Yeah, right. Um, maybe I have to bring that thing out again so I can get faster on my road bike. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, a little, little more, a little more resistance from the uh, from the mountain bike, right? <laughs> Definitely. So now you're you're doing great things. I know yeah. we've briefly spoke about it. So sure. I'm only I only know a little bit, but you know, let's let's catch up and tell me just the great work that you're doing, and we'll get a little backstory and, and all that good stuff. Yeah. So um, I, the the work that I'm really that I'm doing now is in the nonprofit sector, specifically um, working with organizations that serve. Um, people who have been uh, formerly incarcerated, people who are uh, working to escape poverty, to, to escape human trafficking, to escape uh, really difficult and dire life circumstances. And um, I've always had this sort of heart for service. Um, I've, I've always wanted to see people do well. And um, I, I recognized at, at some point that 
I can only have a, a certain level of impact as an individual. You know, if I work really hard, 60, 70 hours a week, and, and, and I don't get paid anything, and <laughs> I can go out there and I can impact maybe 100 lives, you know, just me as an individual. If I'm part of an organization that, that, that comes together and has a really strong, solid team and great funding and great resources, uh, maybe we can impact three, four, five hundred people. Well, the reality is, is if I if I look at the number of people who have um, some sort of involvement with uh, the criminal justice system, there's 75 million of them. And so that's 75 million people that have had some sort of situation that is that's their struggle in life. They've had some experience. Yeah. So that's a lot. So so. so Roughly one in like 2.7 people. <laughs> wow, you know? I'm astounded by that number. Um, it, or or I, I guess I did that wrong. Around one in three okay. in the United States have had some sort of criminal justice involvement. So that means they've been arrested, they've been uh, convicted of a felony, or they've actually been incarcerated. And so... That to me was, and and I I've been <laughs> I've been convicted of a felony, and I I have been incarcerated, and so, um, so I just sort of naturally landed in that ecosystem, um, with with my service, and so this recognition that that I can only impact so many people, and there had to be a better way to do it, what led me to my current work, which is uh, developing software uh, and technological solutions for these small human service nonprofits, these people that are on the front lines of this type of work. Um, all over the country, and yeah, and you look at that as as a bit of a force multiplier. So exactly, it, yeah, yeah, and that's great. So you're providing, you're creating a tool mm-hmm. that's going to take that organization and the 500 that they normally you might be able to affect or help. Yeah. Then you know you're multiplying it by however however much, and maybe that yeah. allows them to to help 5,000 people. Well, yeah, it's 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 providing leverage, um, and so we we we. We kind of say that um, it's tools, training, and technology. And so I, I use this analogy that uh, if if, um, if if let's say that a, a friend of mine has a hole in his wall. Uh, there's a, there's been a uh, he's got a, an older house and a doorknob went through the went through the wall mm-hmm. and there's a, he needs to repair the plaster. And I can I can come over and I can I can drop off uh, you know some plaster, uh, some drywall tape, maybe a piece of drywall, and I can give him the tools to repair that hole. Now, if I drop those tools off and I walk out the door, chances are that that hole's not going to be repaired very well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, if I spend a few minutes longer and I and I and I train him and I show him, you know, like, hey, this is this is how you do this. This is uh, you know, this is what you do. And then I leave. It might be a little bit better. You know, he's going to do a better job. Now, if I if I add in some technology, if I say, hey, if we mix in this particular type of uh, of uh, plaster, if we if we add this particular type of tape, if we if we use this technique, if we do all this, uh, and we add technology into the mix, um, we're going to get a much better result. And so it's the same thing with a small human service nonprofit, you know, uh, especially uh, in, in rural areas where they don't have the same access to resources that we do here in, in a more urban environment. Um, when we when we come in and we drop off a piece of technology in these areas, that's great. But that doesn't that's not the whole picture. We need the training and then we need we need a. Um, you know, the, the, the other support, the other tools, the other, uh, the other understanding that goes along with that. So what we're finding out, you know, after, after about 18 months, almost two years of doing this, um, is that we're really a culture shift organization. Yes, we, yes, we, we make software, we make technology, but we're really about helping organizations to understand themselves and understand how to, 
um, how to talk about what it is that they do with funders, with uh, community partners, with other agencies, um, so that they can uh, not only scale their mission in impact, but also in sort of core strength, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the hardest thing, whether it be for an organization, be for an independent artist or whoever. Mm-hmm. I mean, those people are good at doing the work. They want to know the work uh, or they, they know the work that they want to do. But sometimes communicating that and uh, in, in just grant writing, it's yeah. like a whole different form of writing. So that's to right. have those tools, because a guy that, that can create whatever widget or uh, a documentary doesn't necessarily have those skills to you know to um, write or create the material that they need to get the money so that they can create their work. So to to have exactly. that kind of tool is huge. What, yeah. and, and what exactly describe the software and what exactly that sure. it's doing and how it helps them uh, identify themselves. Sure, sure. So there there are really kind of three areas that we're working in. Um, and so the first is just sort of case management and documentation of the work that, that an organization is doing. Um, just keeping track of the sheer volume of data that comes through the door is sort of the first element. Um, and then also keeping track of the relationships that they have, whether those are relationships with volunteers, with donors, and more specifically with their clientele, with the actual people that they're serving every day. Um, so you could think of it as just like a CRM or a, a constituent relationship management software. Um, and so there, there, there are dozens of these around the, uh, 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 in, the, in the ecosystem, and businesses have been using these for years. And nonprofits, larger ones, use things like Salesforce. Um, but Salesforce is, is quite expensive when you get down to actually outfitting it to fit your program. Um, and so we wanted to build an alternative to that. The other component, though, is once we, once we put all this data in there, we have to have a way to make sense of it. And so we have to we have to have a, a tool for analysis, um, for reporting and, and building out dashboards. And so that's integral component to uh, the Aboto Hub platform. The organization's called Aboto. The software is called Aboto Hub. And uh, so analysis and analytic tools are are a huge component. And then the final piece is that training and onboarding. Um, so we have a built-in learning management system that allows organizations to both purchase um, purchase learning components from a library of evidence-based models of of other training and onboarding for their staff you know learning how to use um, the the G suite uh, Google suite of, of tools Gmail Google Docs uh, Google Drive etc uh, onboarding staff on, on how to use that is is a huge huge undertaking for an organization with only five staff members and so you know for for, for a nominal fee they can they can install that library in their Aboto hub and now they've got that built into their training and onboarding system for their entire organization. And, and what is where did you come up with the name Aboto? What is that? What's the yeah? So um, origin of that? Yeah, it's kind of funny. Um, I wanted something that said, I, I I was just googling and noodling around on the idea of community because um, I wanted I recognized that in in different areas these nonprofits are are the the center of a community. And so I, I was googling around and I found out that Aboto is an Igbo word, uh, which is a North African language. Um, it's, a, it's a word that means community or city. Uh, and so I thought, oh, Bodo, that's got a great ring to it. Oh, definitely. And, uh, it rolls off the tongue. Nice. Yeah. It, it's, it's catchy. Yeah. Yeah. So a Bodo hub was, uh, was what we landed on. Um, and uh, yeah, the rest is history. And so with that, so these nonprofits, they're, they're utilizing the technology. They're learning the different systems, mm-hmm. uh, the Google and those tools. 
And then what are they doing with it? Are they teaching uh, some of the uh, formerly incarcerated? Um, sure. Uh, I don't even know what the, what the term people, is. So, yeah, formerly incarcerated yeah, people, people or clients. That, or, yeah, yeah, clients mm -hmm. teaching them this technology and helping them get a leg up. I guess how is your technology helping you know the guy that has just served time and is looking Absolutely. for you know to restart and and start a new life and and do something different sure so let's look at a, a case study there's an organization we're working with in hutchinson kansas and this organization um is uh is is a homeless services organization so they work with homeless people a large percentage of these people are formerly incarcerated mm -hmm. uh have uh, drug and alcohol issues mental health issues uh, financial issues, et cetera. Um, obviously, they're, they're in the situation where they're without shelter. <laughs> um, and so while currently we don't have any programming directly for the clients, what we do have is training on board for the staff. So by, by, by strengthening the staff and the organization itself, the organization can then uh, solidify the service to the, to the client. Now on our roadmap is to, is to be hosting actual uh, client level learning. So, you know, teaching, teaching um, workforce development, uh, interviewing skills, how to develop a, a resume for work. Um, you know, these, these sorts of, of what we call like micro learning uh, initiatives where you know somebody could watch a three to five to maybe ten minute video or series of videos as a course, um, and then use that as the basis for conversation between a case manager or caseworker. So our case managers and caseworkers can focus on the relationship between them and the client rather than the rote learning. And then we can create some rigor around the learning that says, hey, we are consistently delivering the same message when it comes to how to answer the felony question in a job interview, <laughs> right? How do you tell somebody that you're interviewing with that you have a felony conviction mm -hmm. on your history? Um, we can deliver that with, with, uh, you know, with, with, with rigor and consistency and fidelity um, through these, these video modules and then allow space for the, the, the case manager to really engage in the relationship rather than that, uh, you know, that, that, that sort of standardized learning. And do you find that in this day and age that it's a little more acceptable for someone that has had a felony to have those opportunities? Or what's the general climate for, I guess, job search or a job interview when, uh, you know, somebody brings that up. Sure. Well, the, the great thing is that, that right now we're in, uh, it's, it's, it's the employee's market, <laughs> you know, everybody's hiring and, and while they may not be the, 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 the premium jobs, there, there are, there are a lot of jobs out there. We're not in a down economy right now. So that, so that's the good news. The difficult news is that, um, most organizations have automated their their screening process. And so when you fill out an online application and you check the box, you're you're doing your you know, your your part, being mm -hmm. honest and forthright. You check the box that says, Yes, I do have a felony conviction, oftentimes you're instantly excluded from ever seeing a hiring manager. So you may never get the opportunity to even talk to a person. And I'll I'll share a little story. Um so I'm 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 a convicted felon. My charge was a, a felony DWI back in 1999, so 18 years ago. Gotcha. Um, and something I hadn't known, and I can see sure. with looking at like things with jobs and whatnot, and just looking at when you just throw out, okay, I have a felony. People wonder, what, what is what that? did he do? Right. Did he 
you know, and I think pe- people think felony is more murder and sure. and things of like a higher nature, really sure. something grotesque or like child molestation or things of that nature. Yeah. That, you know, you think the worst when you hear felony, you yeah. think the worst. And it's something like when we talked on the phone a while back, a, a few months ago, you you had mentioned, uh, we'll talk about the project with John yeah. Legend, and you said, oh, yeah. yeah, I had gotten into this because, you know, I was in this situation. I thought, whoa, we've known each other for a while, and <laughs> we're doing a lot of, pro- putting a lot of projects together, and we're pretty yeah. close, and I never knew that. Yeah. And then I reflected a little bit and thought, okay, who I was in, you know, I'm pretty accepting, mm-hmm. but a bit judgmental. Mm-hmm. I, I think less now, trying to be less. And I think, like, how would I have handled that had you threw that out? You know, what would right, my when we had just thoughts not. have been? Or, you know, you get <laughs> yeah. to know somebody and you think like, well, and I think we're just generally judgmental. So I can yeah. see how you click something there and automatically you're just disqualified. So yeah. I think that's why people have have made, the, the, you know, make those choices because whatever, you know, where else can you go? What else can you do? So, right. so, so you know, I just had to inter- just yeah. wanted to interject that. But, no, I appreciate that. But so looking in, so it was a, a felony DWI. And yeah, and so I, I, I served a year in the county jail, um, and then I had five years of probation, um, which, which was, you know, and, and, and I had several – uh, several requirements of that probation that I had to fulfill, and I, I, I walked that time down. And um, I'm, I'm also in long-term recovery from alcoholism and addiction. I, I've got a lot of things going for me today, right? Um, I have a, I have an MBA. I, I've gone to college. Yeah, I, fantastic. I, I, Congrats. <laughs> Thank you. It was a lot of work. Yeah. Um, so when I started Abodo, I needed um, some income because I'm bootstrapping this thing early on, right? I, I didn't have a bunch of funding. I didn't have these things. And, and so I thought, you know, if I could get a job at a gas station, if I could work third shift, I could be off in time to take my kids to school. I could sleep for a little while and I'd still have the afternoon to go take meetings and to work on my project. And then I have the evening to have the dinner with the kids and then I go to work. And so I, I, I did what I coach people to do. You know, this is this is two and a half years ago, right? This isn't twenty years or eighteen years ago when and I this went is with an MBA. This is with an MBA. Wow. So I go to a gas station, and this is a this is a regional chain. It's not it, it's it's not the red regional chain. It's a different regional <laughs> chain. Um, and uh, and I talked to the manager at the location. They have a sign that says they're looking for people. I made a great impression. He was really excited. Um, and, and he said, well, you just got to go out and fill out this online application. I'll get the app. They'll send it to me and we'll set up an interview. And, uh, yeah, it seems like you'd be a great fit. So I go and I fill out the application. I'm going through the application. This is a, anybody who's done an online application knows this is a long process. And so I'm about 15, 20 minutes into this thing. And there's a little box up at the top right hand corner that shows you all the jobs that are available based upon the criteria that you're mm-hmm. laying out there. And so it says there, it changes after each submission. After I submit, you know, a little more information about mm-hmm. me, it changes the jobs that are available. So at one point, there are about 163 jobs in this regional chain that were available. And as I went down the list, I got to the last question. And the last question was, have you ever been convicted of a felony? And I did what I was supposed to do, what I coach people to do. I checked yes, and they said, please explain. And I explained, hey, mm-hmm. in 1999, I told the story. I told them what I've learned from that and the person that I am today. And I clicked submit, and all of a sudden, it went from 163 available jobs to zero. Wow. There were no jobs available for me. Something in your application went wrong. Please contact our customer service or whatever, whatever mm-hmm. our, our, yeah. HR, our HR department. And so I was like, oh, man. I, I mean, like... Like, I know what's up, <laughs> you know, like, like I'm not, I'm not entirely stupid. <laughs> and so I go up there and I talk to the manager who I, who I already met with 
And, uh, and I said, Hey man, something must've gone wrong. I, did you receive my application? And you know, it came up and told me this and he said, no, I never got it. And, uh, so there are literally recognizing there are 75 million people with a felony conviction mm-hmm. in the United States. There are 75 million people that we're excluding from the workforce automatically without ever interviewing or without ever understanding the circumstances, without ever recognizing that these are these these are some of our best and brightest. And just because they have that felony conviction does not exclude them. And yet we're doing that on a daily basis mm-hmm. around the country. Um, what I found out later on was that the, the reason I was probably excluded is that it is illegal in the state of Missouri for a convicted felon to sell lottery tickets. Ah, okay. So in a gas station yeah. that sells lottery, they, they want to be in compliance with the state law. So they say, you know what, we just won't hire felons and then we don't have to worry about it. So that was something in their algorithm that when you click that, it says, okay, um, gas yeah. station, boom, and all those 162 options were gone away because of that. Because of a lottery ticket. Because of that cri- that criteria, okay. right? So a person who's had, like me, who's had a felony DWI 20 years ago, has an MBA, <laughs> has has a lot of, of, of really high-level management experience, can't have a job in a gas station. Yeah. And you look at that and, and you hear, use the term, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Yeah. And that's yeah. a term that everybody says when you yes. say, hey, I can't get this, and I will pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Yeah. And, and at what point you have to look at all right, hey, I, I've redeemed myself. I, you know, I served the time. I repaid my debt to society. Uh, I've since then, you know, gone on. I mean, you were one of the guys I loved working with because you always put your whole self into a project. You always put great energy out there, yeah. um, whether it be a project you're getting paid for or just one of these little independent projects that we put together that turned out so great yeah. because of just your passion and your enthusiasm and just, you know, putting a part of yourself into it mm-hmm. and so yeah so i you know i see this and then now you you have an mba so you go and get you know you you spend money and you just higher education and at what point what do you have to do to to get these opportunities yeah. and and you know of course it should be i think a case by case basis you should look at it but at what point i, I mean to sell a lot you know it's not yeah. you're gonna steal the lottery tickets you prove right. yourself to not be right. that so 20 years or, you know, 15, well, whatever yeah. it is, it's a lot of years. A lot of years. Yeah. <laughs> to, to not have that, it's just like, how do you pull yourself up by your bootstraps, as people say? Like, oh, just get a job. You're willing to do that. But right. The, you but know, we're the, excluded. You know, the, the, the deck is stacked. And the you, deck you can't is stacked. The deck is stacked. I, I, yeah, I love the pull yourself up by your bootstraps. But, like, that, that implies that you have boots, <laughs> totally, right? yeah. Like, like, yeah. like that implies that you've got something, you've got a leg to stand on before you, you know. And so there are so many people out there that are excluded. And and, and these are for low-level jobs. You know, I, I strongly believe that it is harder for a guy like me to get a job at a gas station or in a factory. I've got to jump through so many hoops. You know, they, they well, we don't want felons. Okay, you got to pass a drug test. You got to do this. You got to do this. We, we've created so many barriers to entry for the for these these low level entry level jobs that where people are are really doomed to life uh, a life of poverty if they yeah. can't find a way around that. You and know? then the issue is in that situation is. Then you lose hope because you know right. no matter what I do, okay, yep. I have this MBA. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying necessarily in your, it, it could happen, yeah. but okay, I did this. I've been through AA or, or some other recovery program. Sure. I've done this and that. I've you know done everything I'm supposed to. 
and and I, I still, mm-hmm. you know, I, I still can't get it. And so therefore, what happens? People lose hope. Yeah. And then when people lose hope and there's no opportunities and they're struggling to feed their families and pay the rent and do and health care if they even have it or right. whatever the situation right. is there, you lose hope. What happens? Then you do whatever it takes to to make it work. And a lot of times that's back into that, you know, it's a vicious cycle. cycle. And then sure. and then you may be doing something worse. Right. Because it's like, oh, before I made the mistake and I was drinking while I was driving. Right. And now I can't get a job and feed my family. So, okay, you know, maybe I have to rob a bank or that gas station that you were trying to get a job at. You rob that and steal right. all the lottery tickets. <laughs> yeah, or whatever the situation is. But, you know, I'm paying, trying, yeah. to, trying to make it more light. Yeah. But I think when we have that, yeah, like you said, when you have no boots, how are you going to pull yeah. yourself up? Well, in, in a lot of situations, so I, I, I teach entrepreneurship in the St. Louis Community Release Center. It's actually called the St. Louis Transition Center now. Um, and it's a it's basically a, an institution governed by the Missouri Department of Corrections. Mm-hmm. It's right on the north side of St. Louis. And and it's um, it's an institution where people who are, who are going to be released, you know, 90 97% of the people that are in prison right now will come home to our communities. <laughs> like they're, they're coming home. <laughs> that's not an, that's not a, that's not an issue. No, that's not a question. Um, the question is how do we want them back? Mm-hmm. Right. And so I go into the community release center and I, and I work with these guys to, to help them find the employment because they don't have an MBA. They don't have 17 years between them and their felony conviction. They're still on supervision today you know, what tools can I give them? What, what hope can I give mm-hmm. them that they're going to be able to yeah. do this? So many times what happens is they lose that hope after going to 10, 15, 20, 30 job interviews and being denied that it's very attractive to go back down to the corner and sell dope because I know I can, make a, I can make $200 a day doing that. Are and, there I, any, and that's instant. Are there any stats that show within a certain amount of time that somebody gets out of, out of prison and that... Uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking at, but I mean, I think you would be more susceptible in like the first year or oh, something absolutely. like that. What what is kind of what's the timeline on that? Yeah, so so there there are all sorts of studies that that, that look at the rate of recidivism, and and there are there are different types of recidivism. So that's an interesting uh, word. That's yeah. a, that's a big word. I'm trying to improve <laughs> my vocabulary. Let me write that down. Re- recidivism. Yeah. That is the word that that, that describes okay. the, the 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 process of returning to prison or incarceration gotcha. after. Okay. Uh, coming home. And so there are a couple different ways to look at it. One is to look at a technical violation. So that means that so that you didn't meet some some criteria of your probation or parole. Now that might be staying clean and sober, that might be participating in mental health uh, screenings and processes uh, that might be um, staying within the county of your residence and not leaving the county. Um, it could be that you were um, arrested on a different offense that happened prior to your current conviction. Mm-hmm. Like, so that, like, that's a real thing. And if your county has no jobs, as we're seeing with... Especially in rural areas. Rural areas and factory jobs and things like that or cold jobs. and, and yeah. yeah, and then you, you can't leave. Right. In a five-year period, what do you do? Right, right. So, the, so there are technical violations, and th- this is a real thing that people could, you know, they 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 got they got um, arrested for something, 
uh, let's say for for selling for selling drugs, and then they got arrested for possession and actually went to to jail for the possession charge and did a short stint, let's say six to eight months mm-hmm. in the penitentiary or the county jail, and then came home. And now the investigation on the charge that they were picked that they were arrested for before they went on the possession charge, the sale and distribution mm-hmm. charge comes back after they've been released and they pick up a new oh, charge there. Like, like this oh, this pattern. That, yeah. Is it like like this is a real thing? This happens every day. Um, oh, that's like a kick in the groin, right? There, man. Right. Like, okay, I just did it. I'm good. And they go, hey, and by the way, oh, by the way, we've got this other thing out you're here. Like, well, I mean, couldn't you have thrown that out there in the first place? At least I would have known. Yeah. I mean, you just like, oh, yeah. And now this is not to decry the the reality that there are violent offenses. Mm-hmm. I talk a lot about drug and alcohol offenses um, because, especially at the state level. Um, there, there, are, there are a lot of them. There are so, also so it's a nonviolent felony, right? I mean, granted, the the DUI can be violent when you kill somebody right. or manslaughter, right? Um, I guess it'd be more manslaughter. Yeah, manslaughter it's not yeah, pre, premeditated, but um, but yeah, look, looking at that, so yeah, it's a nonviolent crime or some sort of like selling marijuana or something like that. The, the reality is though that that many violent crimes are also tied to drugs and alcohol, yeah. right? Uh, a, an armed robbery. Of course, yeah. <laughs> a lot of times is tied to drugs and alcohol in some capacity. Okay. A shooting, uh, you know, uh, you know, a, a, a street shooting in on the north side of St. Louis, mm-hmm. oftentimes is related to drugs and alcohol. Now, it may not be directly tied to, you know, it, it wasn't because the person was drunk or under the influence. It was tied to uh, distribution. It was tied to the black market. It was tied to these sorts of things. But. It, it, I guess I don't want to paint the picture that that the that prisons are just full of people who've done nothing wrong and they they should all be just forgiven and thrown <laughs> to the streets, right? Sure. We have all made choices that have landed ourselves in this place. The question is what type of what type of society do we want to be? Do we want to be a society that says, "Hey, you did something wrong. Here is your because prison is about punishment. Like let's this this whole idea that it's about rehabilitation is just absurd. Let's just throw that out the window now because it's not. Um, there are elements of rehabilitation within the institution, mm-hmm. but it's about punishment. So we, we sentence you to five years, and at the end of five years, you've served your time, you've, you've paid your, your penance, so to speak. Shouldn't we give people an opportunity to rebuild their life after that, rather than basically giving them a life sentence? Isn't that the just society that we want to be? You know, if we look at, if we look at our values, as a society, if we look at our values as individuals, we say, well, yeah, I'm all for justice. I'm all for pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I'm all for, you know, I help a brother out, <laughs> right? Yeah, um, but when we start saying not that one and not that one and not that one because of what they did, even the most egregious sex crime or murder or, you know, these are still forgivable offenses. I, I, I use the word forgivable, but... I don't, I'm not asking anybody to forgive and forget. What I'm asking them to do is to say, we've decided we've, we've decided that 25 years is the amount of time that you're going to give to the state through incarceration because you did this. Now that you're out, obviously there's a public safety issue. We want to make sure that, that the, the public is safe. Um, but we also have to, what better way to ensure that the public is safe by making sure that these people can actually build a life. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Let's not let's not put them in a situation where they're basically branded for life and not able to rebuild their life. If, if they're able to rebuild their life, there's incentive. There's welcome to America. Right. <laughs> there's nothing but opportunity. This is the land yeah, of opportunity not to say not to be cautious. Right. Because 
cautious. You, know, you, you don't Absolutely. know what. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a tough subject. It really is. It's a tough subject. And you look at it, I mean, even some of the most outspoken people who are talking about crime and this and that, and, you know, maybe somebody that is a proponent of the death penalty or something like that. I'm being mm. more general, but um, but we all know the people that are really outspoken about things and sure. like, oh, I never do anything. And, and then sometimes that person may be uh, a successful business person or whatnot, but I, I think there's at least one time when we're all with that person who's pretty outspoken and, you know, we see and they're having some beers and whatnot and, you know, a bunch of beers or the big mug of beer. And you're thinking like, oh, that's a lot of beer yeah. or that's a lot of whatever. Sure. And it's just like that one mistake or thinking, oh, I'm good. Yep. And then how that can affect their lives. And, and then they're under that same label. That's right. Um, you know, much different than, yeah, when we talk about, I, I know it's a touchy subject when people get into somebody that has murdered someone or mm-hmm. has done this and that. Yeah, it's it's not a black and white subject, you it's, know, being yeah. that there's this, I always talk about the gray matter in between or the gray, yeah. you know, the gradient. Yeah. And it's just, man, there's so much life is just much more complicated than that. That's right. Especially when we know, and, and we were talking earlier about connections. Yeah. We have those connections. It's a lot easier to, when you, you don't have the story behind that person or you don't know that person and you say, oh, man, um, you know, just just fry them. When you know where there's maybe a bit of a story that, that changes it or maybe you say, all right, I'm completely against you mm-hmm. know any kind of crime. I'm, you know, 100% like a Ten Commandment type person and all sure. right, you're just, I don't want to have anything to do with you. It's hard. I, yeah. I don't, yeah, that's... It's a tough one, man. It's tough. And uh, there's, um, Brene Brown has a, a new book. I don't know if you've ever uh, listened to her podcast or her, I have not. Uh, her TED talk or anything, but she talks a lot about vulnerability. And she talks in this new book that it's, it's really difficult to hate people close up. So move in. That is interesting. Yeah, right? It's quote. really difficult to alienate people. It's very easy from, from the other side of a social media platform. Or from you know the other side of town, or the other side of a of, of a news channel, a twenty four hour news channel, or something like that, to demonize and to and to hate somebody else. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult when you're sitting down to dinner, yeah. or when you're sitting next to somebody and engaged in 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 meaningful conversation, whatever the topic. It's it's much more difficult to hate somebody close up. So move in, right? And so I think that that's that's these are the things that make America great. Right. Is that we um, for, for, for a couple hundred years now, we have not shied away from these conversations. We live in the tension of this. And in recent times, we've we've gotten away from that. We've gotten away from from living in the tension of the great melting pot of, you know, living in the tension of, well, do we let people in? Do we keep people out? We, we, and we've gotten away from dialogue and connection there. And we've gotten to black and white. We've gotten out of the gray, <laughs> you yeah. know, to use your terminology. We've gotten out of the gray, which is, which is where, in my opinion, the magic happens. And we've gotten into the, the, the black and white, the poles. And nothing can happen at the poles. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got to happen in the middle. It's yeah. got to happen in the fray. Interesting. Yeah, no, totally. Now, now, what are, just looking at some of the magic that's happening, mm-hmm. what are some success stories? I mean, yours is a success story. Sure. I mean, you could have, I mean, a lot of things could have been different there. But what are yeah. some other other stories that you can share that show sure. how how people have, have paid their debt and have, <laughs> and have that have achieved that redemption? Yeah. Oh, my God. There's so, there's so many. So 
I'm involved right now uh, in an accelerator um, called Unlocked Futures, and that's in collaboration with uh, New Profit out of Boston, uh, John Legend, um, and his uh, his nonprofit philanthropic arm called uh, Free America, and uh, and also Bank of America is putting up the money for this whole thing, right? Um, so shout out to all of them; they're they're doing incredible work. But um, there's one gentleman in in our uh, cohort of eight members uh, named Marcus Bullock. And he has created an app that allows people to maintain a sense of community and connection to their family while they're incarcerated. So if you think about uh, what we do on the outside here, if I'm going to share uh, photos of the family, you know, the, the birthday party with my, uh, my mom uh, halfway across the country, I just upload it to Facebook and mm-hmm. I tag her. I say, hey, mom, look at these pictures of, you know, sure. my kid's birthday. Yeah, it's a commonplace these days. Right. I mean, that's, that's just that's then, what we all do. And then we don't talk to each other because it's like, I already know everything, I know that, everything. That's going on with Jason because I've seen the birthday parties and all that. So exactly. I don't, I don't need to make that call. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's a whole different subject. Yeah, yeah. But but when we when we look at the barrier between um, a, a parent who is incarcerated or a, or a grandparent who is incarcerated and their connection to the family on the outside, there is isn't that simplicity, right? It's I have to go and I have to print a picture and then I have to put it in an envelope and I have to put a stamp on it and I have to address it and I have to send it. Um, what Marcus has done is he's built an app called FlickShop and you, you all should check this out, FlickShop. And what it allows you to do is with the same simplicity that you would post something to uh, your social media platform mm-hmm. of choice, <laughs> you can send your loved one a postcard with those images and a message directly from your phone in, I don't know, I just snapped. Nice. <laughs> you know, that Excellent. quick. So um, what it does is it allows people to maintain that connection with the community that, that, that science has been scientifically proven. It's an evidence based that people who have community when they come home from prison mm-hmm. are much more likely to, to gain the traction and okay. the connection that they need to be successful on the outside. Okay. So, so yeah. looking, looking at the app. Mm-hmm. So it, it's essentially like a Chromecast where if I'm using YouTube or whatever, type thing then i have the chromecast app and i can click and it'll go to my tv so this app does it connect to facebook or instagram where you click the postcard or do you You upload separately no actually so so you just you open the app and Uh you 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 upload the image to the app and he actually his infrastructure on the back end they so you've got kind of a file management system and okay. whatnot, but uh, but but he prints the image on a postcard, addresses it, stamps it, and sends it on, and then you okay, just gotcha. get you get charged. I think it's I think it's like ninety nine cents. Okay, so you upload your your whoever your family members all their information, mm-hmm. and then where they're at, what prison, this and that, and yep. and, and you put it in there that one time. And so then yep. every other time you just click it in and boom, then it'll go and everything's yep. there, which really 99 cents. If you look at, I don't know what's a postcard stamp these days, like 30 something cents. I, or, I think it might be closer to 50. Yeah. Oh, maybe 50 now. Yeah. Cause I know regular postage. So yeah, 50 cents and then not having to drive to the post office and the, yeah, yeah. So really you don't have not, to print. You don't have to like, I mean, it's, it's yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty, you know, I, it's, seems it's a, like a fair wage. It's or a fair, fair it's rate. a fair price. Yeah. yeah okay. for, for what, for what you got. There. And then a lot of times uh, when you look at that, where, if you have to run to Walgreens and print it and do mm-hmm. this, then run to the post office. And if it's going to take you an hour or so, I don't know. I think people might be less, um, yeah. you know, less inclined to, to send it out to create or, or that, to do it. Exactly. To okay, do it. Gotcha. So it's All a convenience right. thing. I can, you know, I mean, right, right here I can, I can send, I could send out 30 postcards yeah. in, 
in 10 minutes. Well, and anymore, it just seems like in this day and age, because nobody's printing, it's all just going straight to Facebook and it's so easy. Mm-hmm. So I could see how people would be less incentivized or it would be, okay, I'll do it's this just more, it's more difficult. next week. Okay, yeah. no, that's, yeah. that seems like a great solution. Wow. So, so, so here's the cool thing, right? Marcus essentially grew up in prison. His his felony conviction came when he was 16 years old. Wow. And he spent, I, uh, Marcus, if you're listening, I'm sorry, I'm probably going to butcher your story here, but almost a decade in prison mm-hmm. for a violent offense uh, that he committed as a teenager. Um, and he came out, and, and when, when we leave these institutions, we're leaving a family of sorts behind. We make connections. We build community within the institution. That's the only way to survive. In, in a hopeless situation, the only way we survive is to build our own community within. And so when we leave, we want to maintain those connections. And I know that Marcus was basically growing up from 16 to 26 in the institution. There were there were men that were serving life sentences there that were like fathers and uncles to him. Mm-hmm. And so he wanted to maintain that connection. So he came up with this idea. So right this is this is the level. And this is one story of literally thousands. Uh, Teresa Hodge is a, a dear friend of mine in Washington, D.C., um, she's doing amazing work with with background checks. So helping people to, first helping companies to step outside of the everyone's excluded because they check the box exactly. <laughs> place and starting to look at people as individuals and to understand the unique circumstances and the unique um, uh, processes that they've walked through to become the person they are today. And she's looking, she's looking at technology to, to quantify that into a score. Just like you'd have a credit score, you'd have a reputation score. You know, that is, that's interesting because I kind of, that's one of my analogies, which at some point I'm going to blog on. But since <laughs> yeah. I have, you know, this is I've a got your art, ears now. <laughs> blog, is, yeah, I look at that with people's word as yeah. well. And yeah. I look at it, that credit score, because if I make a lot of promises to somebody and I don't fulfill them, then, you know, my reputation score is going to go down. So, okay, so they take that and then they have that guy. And how does this work exactly, the reputation score? Well, the idea, the the basic idea is that we take your criminal history, we take the time since, we take um, we take things like your education. We take things like your your job history mm-hmm. since your offense and since your incarceration okay. and your release. Taking all of these things together, um, we're, we're looking at way. You know, well, I, sh- I shouldn't say we. I'm I'm not really working with Teresa on this, but Teresa's looking at ways to to quantify things like um, like recovery. You know, have have you been a part of a recovery community? Have you um, are you engaged at at, uh, at at a local church or yeah, or in yeah. it, you know are you engaged in a in a civic organization? You know, yeah. and basically quantifying all yeah, of yeah. And this. then every year that that you're out, then it's um, is there like your score goes up, just like your credit score with sure. every year that you're paying your bills on time. Yeah, and, you know, you get some points with that. Yeah, absolutely. So and then the, if you did, you know, if you did something that was minor. Or whatnot, then that would you know bring your score down. And, yeah, exactly. You know that's kind of interesting because then you do have more when you can quantify things, mm-hmm. and and you think about it because that's what I'm. I kind of freak out when I, I can't pay my bills because mostly it was my word. I made this agreement to yeah. borrow whatever money, and so that's part of my reputation. So it's not so much me just wanting to have that score. Right. But still, that's something that quantifies what you're doing. So I think in turn, I guess it gives people more incentive to even if it's like, OK, I'm not uh, I'm really struggling right now, this and that. Mm-hmm. But if I do this, 
and that happens, then, you know, then that's going to really make things difficult or I'm going to go back in. So maybe that that's a little bit of an incentive for somebody that may not yeah. be like just, I guess you could say rock bottom where they, they have no choice, mm-hmm. but somebody that's thinking like, okay, it's, I'm facing this, I'm getting depressed because I can't get a job and, you know, can I even stomach another rejection and, you know, through a job interview? Mm -hmm. But if they think like, oh, okay, let me hang in there a little longer. Yeah. Maybe that's a piece of the puzzle. Well, or. That just changes the tide. Or take, take it a step further, right? If I want to improve my credit score. I go to my local bank and I, 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 I purchase certificate, a certificate of deposit for $500. I put that up as collateral for a, for a loan for $500 and I pay that back over the course of 12 months. I get a secure credit card. Like there are ways that I can proactively improve my credit score, right? Well, there are ways to proactively improve your reputation score as well. So it's not just that I'm at the mercy of this credit score. Mm-hmm. I can proactively do that. Yeah, so it's, it's the same thing with the, exactly. Like, like it's the same thing. The church, or, yeah. yeah. So so I'm going to be a part of the the Rotary Club, or I'm going to be a part of this, and that's going to improve my reputation score. Um, I'm going to engage in this this uh, the, you know this 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 new educational program because I know that will improve my reputation score. Um, I love the word quantify, and when when I'm when I'm working with people, um, especially coaching them on how to how to how to put together a solid resume, I say, well, you want to quantify things, and everybody's like, what's quantify mean? I said, it means to give value to, right? So when we give value to people's experience, to their lived experience, um, we're 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 giving value to them as human beings Mm -hmm. Uh, and so all we're doing is we're we're associating a number with that with that value um and and any more with a resume with everything being digital yeah it's they're looking for the keywords that's right oh yeah you may have i I mean something in there but you haven't used the right words Mm -hmm. so they think uh, the computer doesn't pick it up and you don't get that opportunity so it's almost like we have to re learn how to put a resume yeah and then you know ultimately that one box is like that ultimate keyword that just sinks everything yeah so yeah. interesting yeah yeah I, I i i teach people um to to pick apart the job description because the person who wrote the job description is is likely at least in the same office as the person who's going to be reading the resumes or the machine that's been uh-huh. programmed <laughs> to read the resumes um so the keywords are in the job description. <laughs> Make sure that those are included in your cover letter and your resume, so that you know, so you can move. You know, Definitely, you can kind of hack the system. Print so to it speak. out and <laughs> highlight all those words, and yeah, yeah just uh, adopt your resume. Yeah, adapt it to to use those words. Yeah. Now, now, one thing you were telling me when we spoke a little while ago, sure, was uh, I guess was there a program where you're following three or four uh, of the people that have just you know just gotten out recently and. Or that have started businesses so you can, you know, you have a case study where you can show how this program is helping. Well, what, so, what's going on with that? Yeah, so there's, there's, there's a couple different things I'm involved with. So, I mean, this is my life's work. So I've, I've got my little, my little fingers and all sorts of things. Um, one of the things I do is I, I consult with organizations to build programs. And um, one of the programs we're working on right now is a, is, a, is a mentorship program. It's a peer mentorship program. And so um, we're working with a, uh, a local funder, a philanthropist, who, who wanted to um, kind of build in financial incentives to a peer mentoring program. So we've got four guys working together, uh, or four women or four people uh, working together um, to, to, to support each other as they, for the first year after being released from prison. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and, and we're going to put some financial incentives to that. So as they achieve goals, they receive a financial, you know, financial incentive, 50 bucks a month. And then there are six month and 12 month um, incentives as well for a total of $1,500 over the first year. Which, which can mean a lot. It, it, well, sure, yeah, that's, sure. That's the, huge. Yeah, 50 bucks a month is, uh, is you know, is the forty nine ninety nine plan at, uh, at Boost Mobile, right? That's yeah. your cell phone. Yeah, exactly. And the cell phone, like, like, I really take this for granted, but but the cell phone is uh, is is a way that ties us to every other opportunity out there. You know, if I if I'm looking for a job and I have a cell phone, what do I put on a resume when they want to call me for the interview? Do I put my cousin's phone number on there? You know, what do I do? So so connecting people through like it's difficult, <laughs> and, then, and then it's a situation on Seinfeld, the Vandalay industries, <laughs> and then your cousin's like, what? And, you yeah. know, and then yeah. nah, just, man, he ain't here. Yeah, and then they're just like, well, oh no, no, I needed that, and then that's yes. a situation, or somebody's like, yeah, yeah. just <laughs> yeah, could, that could go so many different ways. Yeah, so, so, so yeah, you need to have your own. Your own communication. communication device, yeah, yeah, and so so fifty bucks a month is, is huge for that, um, and then that six month, you know, two hundred and fifty dollars, and that twelve month, five hundred dollars. That could be those deposit on an apartment, mm-hmm. you know. So I mean, or 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 uh, a down payment on a car. You know, we live in St. Louis. There's not there's there's not really a, a, a real high quality mass transit once you get yeah. out of, you know, kind of the main corridors. Or there. building that credit, like you said, that's some Absolutely. equity to get that credit card to show that you're credit worthy. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And so, 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 you know, this this guy is, uh, you know, thought that this would be a, a great thing to study. So, in partnership with Lindenwood University, St. Louis Criminal Justice Ministry, and uh, the Tetraheed Foundation, uh, we put this together. We're going to follow. We're going to follow sixteen guys for three years through this program. I say guys because it, it'll, it'll be men only here initially. Okay. Um, but uh, we're going to follow them for the year of intervention, and then we're going to follow them for two years afterwards to see how things turn out for them. And we're going to compare that to a, uh, a test group, you know, sort of a control group that says, okay, the average person who, you know, came from this background, these charges, this community, this zip code, et cetera, these were their outcomes over three years, and this is this group's outcome for three years. So hopefully it, with 16 people, it's not a huge sample size, but it's enough to say to attract further investment, you know, to say, hey, with, with 16 people, this is what we found. We want to continue this study with 100 people um, in three different cities so we can start to compare results across, uh, you know, across a larger sample size. Uh, so that's really exciting. It's exciting stuff. Um, I'm also working with, with New Profit uh, and uh, Unlocked Futures. Uh, so we've got eight entrepreneurs that uh, are, are formerly incarcerated and are building solutions for, you know, to help uh, formerly incarcerated people and uh, the communities that they live in, their families and whatnot. And so that's where Flick Shop and uh, R3 Score, Teresa Marcus, um, there's several other um, educational programs. Um, so uh, a, a program out of um, out of Boston that... Um, that helps people to continue their education once they leave, because there are some some places that allow you to achieve even like an associate's degree while you're incarcerated. But to continue that on to uh, a bachelor's or even a graduate level degree is sometimes really difficult. Um, so his organization helps people to do that. Um, so yeah, so that I mean that's really exciting. There's so many things like I could just I could just rattle on all day about these you know these cool opportunities mm-hmm. that are out there. But the, they're out there. They're out there, and 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 these people are doing amazing work. That's fantastic. And where are you at in the process of your your app? Is that available? Is that yeah, okay. yeah. So um, right now we're in we're in what what I what I term a, a, a private beta, 
and so we've got 11, 11 customers that we've been working with in uh, 11 different cities across uh, Missouri, Arkansas, and Kansas. And we're moving into what we're going to call our public beta, and that'll be uh, the next 12 months um, where we'll be, we'll be testing out um, the business model around the solution. You know, can we, can we attract people to pay for this solution? Can we scale this up to 50 or 100 or 200 customers over the course of the next you know, 12 to 18 months? And then you know, there, there are around 300, 385,000 organizations that meet sort of our target criteria, our niche um, in the in the United States, and so these are organizations that have less than 20 employees um, that serve uh, 200 people or less per year and have less than a million dollars a year in revenue. So there are about 385,000 of those around the country, and so we want to be able to capture a, at least a significant part of that market. Um, but we have we have some proving to do along that along that way. So next step is is public beta, um, where we're we're, we're going to prove out the business model, and then uh, we'll go to seek some uh, probably like Series A funding. Uh, to scale that up to, you know, um, to, to the next level. Interesting. Yeah. And so are, are you still working at the gas station or is this now your full-time? No, I never, I never got the job at the gas station. Oh, okay. So that, that never came through. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. found something else? I found something else, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I, so the, yeah, that's one thing about, uh, about, you know, this whole pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You're never going to meet more resourceful people. Than, than, than people who have been incarcerated, people who have, who have dealt with poverty, people who have dealt with, with some really difficult life situations. You're never going to meet more resourceful people. You know, uh, a, a mother who can, who can keep her children fed on, you know, $250 in food stamps a month and, you know, $60 cash a month, like, that is a resourceful woman. That is a powerful, strong woman. And she doesn't even know, typically, I shouldn't say she doesn't, but typically she doesn't understand the, 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 the power that comes with that level of resourcefulness and, and that, that resourcefulness and that, um, that grit and resilience, that, that has tremendous value in the workplace. You know, there are, there are employers that are tripping over each other to find people that can, that can, that can do that, that type of work and those sorts of conditions, you know, uh, but but we we failed as a society to bring these two together mm-hmm. to say, hey, workplace, you need people that are resilient, that are creative, that are that are driven, that are passionate, and hey, person over here who's dealing with poverty, you are all of those things. Mm-hmm. You just don't know it. We need to bring them together. And I guess in bringing them together, what kind of I wouldn't say cultural shift, but, mm-hmm. but what yeah. what adjustments because it's you know, somebody that's in that situation is from a, a you know, a different subculture yeah. than someone that is working in that business that may have went to college or something. And this person may, you know, barely ha- have gotten out of high school or mm-hmm. their family is not educated yeah. or had never had an education. And I think when, when I look at um, people that say, oh, well, it's responsible to families to educate their children. And I agree that so much education comes from the home. But if that person never had an education or never had a family to do that, then, then you know, then what, yeah, how, no. how do we compensate for that and make it work where then the next generation where they're able to help their kids in the home and we just don't have this, this downward spiral? Uh, yeah. I mean, what adjustments? Oh, I mean, is that something your yeah. organization helps these companies uh, to, you know, I guess to acclimate or, you know, to somewhat... Um, 
set it up where these people have a better understanding and and maybe some of the uh, rifts that may happen because of the difference in culture you know can be smoothed over or um, yeah no 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 you're you're absolutely spot on um because you know there's there there are differences in culture right so it's it's both and the 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 people who are going through some sort of workforce development program who are coming out of poverty or incarceration mm-hmm. or human trafficking or or any other sort of 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 disadvantaged or excluded population or environment need to be lifted up need to be shown like, hey, so if you're going to to function well in this environment, these are the things you need to do. This is this is so things like email etiquette, right? Yeah. Voicemail etiquette, sure. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, text message etiquette, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, personal skills. How do you how do you go to lunch, <laughs> you know, with uh, with with a potential employer mm-hmm. for yeah. a lunch interview? Um, so, so so lifting them up yeah. with the soft skills, but then also helping um, organizations understand, you know, companies. Um, that that may have a developed culture to help them to understand that that there's a vibrancy that comes with people who are different, mm-hmm. people who have experienced different things, and and to to recognize that as a value and a strength, not a, a something that needs to be trained away, so to speak, mm-hmm. right? And it's meeting in the middle, I, I would think. That's like, right. Where, how can we meet in the middle? Yep. And then uh, yep. I guess understanding that there's going to be. Uh, for lack of a better word, growing pains or, yeah. you know, th- there's adjustments that'll have to be made and who knows what the timeline is for that. I mean, I don't think there's any set That's right. a- amount of time because everybody's different, whether it be, you know, that company culture and then that person. That's right. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, I heard a, a, a an HR leader at a, a recent, I was out in, in, uh, in San Francisco at a conference and there was a, a, a uh, an HR person from a, a pretty large tech company and he used these words he said he said as hr as the hr department we're the stewards of the culture (laughs) and i just thought that i thought that was so poetic like like he sees himself as the steward of the culture and so it's their it's it's their role it's incumbent upon them to build a diverse culture a rich culture a culture that appreciates both the differences and the samenesses right mm-hmm. um and and to integrate those to ensure that our companies look like the neighborhoods they're based in you know whether that's socioeconomic racial um gender you know along all those lines the hr department is responsible for that and and are largely um largely responsible for the success of the organization, right? Yeah, and, and I think it's having that mix where if you look at history, where we went wrong with the segregation and everything, and it was like, let's put all the poor people in one area. Yeah. And then how do you, when, you know, it's, it's like the quote of, you know, I don't want to be the smartest guy in the room. Mm. Because if you think you're the smartest guy in the room, then what are you going to learn from? That's right. So if you have uh, all these people, I guess, with no education and nothing, you know, they're not exposed to what they can elevate to. Mm-hmm. And if so, if your community socioeconomically is, you know, just at the rock bottom, yeah, then, then how, you, what do you even, what's your example of even elevating? It's not something that right. you have somebody mentoring you or you're seeing it on a personal level. It seems like it's such, I would think that like so hard to obtain. Because uh, it's like, oh, this is over here. I can never have that because they're not realizing the steps to have that. That's it's right. steps. It just doesn't just happen. Well, th- th- no, that's you're you're so spot on. And I think that that so this is a difficult discussion for people to have, especially people that look like me. I'm a white man 
in America, <laughs> right? Um, I have I have privilege that I can't even quantify. I have oper- access to opportunities. I came from a two parent home. Granted, my, my father died when I was young, but but I came from a I, I came from a pretty wholesome environment. I attended a private school. You know, I I have. I have a responsibility to my neighborhood and my society that to to ensure that the people who didn't have the opportunities that I had, that don't have the inherent privilege that I have because of my race, because of my gender, because of my my geographic location, because of all of these the socioeconomic opportunities, I, I have a responsibility to go out there and to and to pave the way for others. You talk about exposure, right? Because I grew up in these in 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 St. Charles County, because I went to private school, because I I saw on a daily basis people that got up and went to work every day and and didn't call in sick and and were were, were paying their bills on time and had nice cars and and so I had something I had a model that exactly. I could and look I to. I think that model is so important. Yeah, I had a model that I could look to, yeah. and there are so many people that don't have that model, and so it's incumbent upon us those of us who have had that model to be that model for others, especially those who haven't had that yeah. model. Or if that model is the only way I'm going to get out of this is if I'm a football player. Right. And of course, you know, football's so violent, but yeah. you know, that's a whole nother story. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not to say I'm opposed to it, but, or, you know, like to be a rapper. And then the whole, whole message behind a lot of rap is like gangster rap and this and yeah. that. And it's, you know, so it's just taking that thing that's keeping you know a, a certain area down certain group and yeah. it's glorifying it and it's just like okay well for me to have any success i have to be that and, yes. and, and you just can't change so when your models are you know just not not the best models not not to say that there's you know anything that that the stories that some of these rappers are telling aren't important because right. I, I think there's way whatever the intent is if it's yeah I'm, i want to expose what this you know what's going on and try to change it versus glorifying it right right and i i think i think a lot of times people want to hop on the bandwagon and say well they're glorifying well i don't know i heard an interview with you god from wu-tang the other day who just released a book and he's talking he said i'm, I'm not glorifying i'm just telling you where i came from mm-hmm. you know it's not yeah. about glorification so there, you know there's there's a guy that uh, that i know really well um from st louis uh he's now out at um uh, johns hopkins um, he he may very well have a solution for uh, the diabetes issue. Um, he's also uh, a young black man, um, formerly incarcerated, um, and and is is out there doing it. And he goes out there and he and he he works with with young black men and says you know says like hey so when I say. Uh, Johns Hopkins, or he's also an adjunct or associate professor at, at Howard University, a historically black college or university. Um, when he talks about to these young black men and, and, and women about college, and he says, Well, when you think of Johns Hopkins, what do you think? Rich white kids. When you think of Howard University, what do you think? Rich white kids. He said, No, no, no. <laughs> it's a historically black college or university, right? Um, it's, 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 it's opportunity for people like us, people like me, people mm-hmm. like you. Um, and so he's out there being that model and he's, he's, uh, but they're, they're, it's, it's difficult work. I, I, I'm on the board of his, his nonprofit. Um, and he talks about this work, um, and, and, and how difficult it is and how slow it is. It's slow work. You know, this is, this is work that takes, that takes time. It's going to take generations, right? I mean, it took mm-hmm. generations to get here. It's going to take generations yeah. to, 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 to dial it back, but exposure, Providing models, providing opportunity, um, but 
but not just, um, I think so, so frequently, um, people like me, white men, white women who come from the suburbs think, oh, well, I have a solution for this community of color, for this uh, community, this impoverished, this uh, disconnected community. I've got a solution. And we impose our solutions on these communities without stepping in and partnering and, 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 and engaging with the community and, and not, just, not just imposing some sort of intervention, but saying, hey, I want to come alongside you and just help out. Where can I help? Right. We, we want to just sort of impose this, this, uh, you know, this, this, this solution, you know, I put the little air quotes up there. Um, so I think that that's, I mean, that, that's a whole other, that's a whole other podcast talking about how to, how to deal with those sorts of issues and how to, how to recognize the opportunities that exist within these communities and not just coming in and saying like, oh, well, we know best, this is what you ought to do and here's how you do it, you know, um, and that's something I, I, I have to struggle with on a daily basis. Uh-huh. Like, I mean, there may be people listening to me right now going, man, this guy doesn't know anything. <laughs> and and you're probably right. And I, I would invite you to please invite me to coffee and, and teach me. I'm open. That's awesome. Well, wrapping up, I mean, what is ultimately your vision with, with the work that you're doing? Where do you see yourself in, in the next 10 years? And, yeah. and how do you see that affecting, you know, everything that we currently know? Is, is the work you're doing going to, you know, somewhat have some sort of shift? And, and where do you see that shift being? Sure. And what is that shift? Sure. Well, I think, um, you know, if I look, if I look 10 years into, the, into my crystal ball here, um, I, I see a Bodo as a... A, a tool for for building community, right? So yes, it's a technology solution. Yes, it helps organizations to um, to track and report their data. It helps them to get more funding. It helps them to be more uh, proactive in their interventions and the work that they're doing in their communities. All of that, yes. Um, but I see Obodo also as a um, a community building. Um, an asset to to building communities, you know, to helping people who are all kind of moving into this Oboto mindset, bringing them together within a community to to form uh, deeper, richer partnerships with people who think and and act in similar ways. You know, people who say, hey, I want to become a data-driven organization. I want to become an organization that makes impact um, that scales. I want to make I want to make impact that um, that is measurable and I want to go out there and find the money to do that. And I want to make um, you know I, I, I want to make sustainable impact. Um, so bringing organizations and communities like that together um, so that they can they can support each other and they can raise each other up, you know. Um, I think that too many times when, especially in smaller communities, even like St. Louis, St. Louis is a small town, right? It's a big, small town. <laughs> it's yeah, a big, totally. small town. Um, the, the, there are, there's a lot of competition for limited resources. Mm-hmm. Um, and so helping people to transcend that, um, this, this scarcity mindset, I think, is, is a long-term sort of vision or hope for, for Abodo. Yes, we make technology. Yes, all of those things. And in order for all of us to move forward, we've got to get, we've got to, we've got to start seeing um, more opportunity and less scarcity. Well said, man. I, <laughs> I mean, I think on that, that's, that's a good ending point. And yeah. I just, you have to say that super proud of what you're doing. I, <laughs> I learned a lot from this conversation cool. and it's, and it's good to have these conversations or listen to different points of view and, uh, and continue to, you know, make that shift in our own minds. So thank you for uh, sharing and, and taking the time to come out. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. 
Is it worth your while? 